Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Okay, welcome everyone. Hello. My name is Jennifer Jacquet and I'm an environmental scientist and professor at New York University. I'm also an editor at Science Advances, uh, the journal. And we actually put together a special collection on the science related to the high seas um, that we distributed here um, at the same meeting last year. So um, we've been working on, on issues in science related to the high seas. It's an honor to be here today in the headquarters of the United Nations, the physical manifestation of a global dream for world peace, whose purpose includes achieving international cooperation to solve international problems. What an honor also for us to be part of an effort to protect the high seas, which most of us will never visit, but where billfishes, baleen whales, bioluminescence, and the great abyss captures our collective imaginations. Finally, what an honor for me to support Greenpeace's efforts, not just to promote science-based knowledge and an ambitious global ocean treaty, but also to engage and amplify civil society, and prominent voices like Javier Bardem in protecting the high seas. The high seas and the seafloor underneath are areas beyond national jurisdiction. They are our global commons. They belong to nobody, but must be cared for by all of us. These waters are one and a half times the total land area on the planet, and they represent the majority of the oceans. They play a critical role in regulating climate and biogeochemical cycles. The high seas and the deep seas are some of the most remote, quietest, darkest areas on Earth, where strange creatures have remarkably figured out how to eke out a living, even in very low energy environments. But the din of the industrial age has reached even these remote, once quiet waters. Fisheries catches from the high seas have doubled since 1982, when the high seas were officially established. There are already 16 existing exploration contracts to assess mining opportunities in the Clarion-Clipperton zone in the high seas between Mexico and Hawaii. We've all heard about the problem of ocean plastics by now. 
and yet less than 1% of the high seas is currently under strong prote protection. We know the problems and the pressure will only increase. There are many different existing institutions out there in charge of managing the high seas, including regional fisheries management organizations or the International Seabed Authority. Some say these are enough. They are not. Numerous scientific studies have pointed out their failings across several different dimensions. We need a new ambitious treaty that can adequately address the current threats and anticipate new impacts. Protecting the high seas with a strong treaty is within your reach, and it's one of the greatest opportunities of our lifetimes. Please act not only on behalf of your nations, but also as citizens of this planet, and protect the global ocean for the benefit of all of life on Earth. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10... We did not know each other, and we could not speak to each other, because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. Every politician who is taking donations from the NRA... I believed them when they said they were sleeping on concrete floors. I believed them. Children being separated from their parents in front of an American flag. I believe them. And you can change the entire population of the world, eight billion people. And if you're gonna figure out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, it didn't happen, and here we are. I believe these women. You're wrong. I feel extremely lucky to, to be here with all of you fighting for justice, for equality, for the right for us to equally exist in this country. There were 329 uprisings, 257 cities within four and a half years. And neither Martin nor Fanny had any control over that. We might be headed to the promised land of speaking the truth and fighting our external liberty once we internally liberate ourselves. But their children were saved, and their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Access America. Make a stand. I know I did. Thank you very much. And may God bless us. And may God bless us. Our panel today includes Sandra Schottner, who will explain Greenpeace's global campaign for high seas protection and a strong global ocean treaty. Next, Javier Bardem, who some of you may have heard of talks about his experience in the Antarctic, and we will watch the trailer for his new film, Sanctuary, which I like to think of as No Ocean for Old Men. <laughs> and Sophia Sinikli will provide some nuts and bolts on what a strong global ocean treaty means in terms of treaty text. Finally, Farah Obaidullah will talk about why an ambitious treaty is critical for all of us. Sandra, please take it away. Thank you, Jennifer, and good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's also an honor for me to be here today and giving you a little glimpse into um, yeah, Greenpeace's global Protect the Oceans campaign. We all know, and maybe we don't know enough, that oceans are the lifeblood of our planet. They make it habitable, 
by producing at least, at least half of the oxygen that we breathe and that are in our atmosphere. And they regulate the climate. They provide food and livelihoods for many million people. And what's even more, they make the largest living space on Earth and are thus home to an amazingly diverse wildlife from the sunlit surface to the darkest depths. In short, our oceans are crucial to all life on this planet, and that's even more true in a changing climate. But they're increasingly under pressure from cumulative impacts of human activities. From climate change to ocean acidification, overfishing, destructive fishing, pollution, oil drilling, gas drilling, and the emerging new threat, deep seabed mining, our oceans are under threat like never before. As a consequence, habitat is damaged or destroyed, ecosystem resilience weakened, and marine species go extinct at a staggering rate. Especially the speed at which the high seas have been depleted some of, them, of some of their most spectacular and iconic wildlife has taken the world by surprise. And it has revealed a broken governance system that must be urgently fixed. Now, we have no time to waste. Because the science is clear, if we want to secure healthy, abundant, and resilient oceans and avoid an irreversible ocean crisis in the near future, we need to protect at least 30% of our global oceans by 2030. In 2016, the IUCN adopted a motion urging governments to act for this cons conservation target. And we as Greenpeace are calling on world leaders and decision makers to back this target because only a global network of ocean sanctuaries will help save species from extinction and support their survival in our fast-changing world. So what does this mean in practice? The report 30 by 30, a blueprint for ocean protection, which was part of a side event we hosted during IGC2, is a result of a year-long collaboration between leading academics at the universities of Oxford and York and Greenpeace, and it shows what such robust, planet-wide network of ocean sanctuaries could look like. It wouldn't just consist of lines drawn up on a map, but it would represent a coherent, interconnected web of protection, encompassing wildlife hotspots, migration corridors, and critically endangered ecosystems. If implemented, it would safeguard the full spectrum of marine life and help tackle the future ocean crisis. But what's pretty evident if we're looking at this map is that ocean protection in this way would need to be rolled out across international waters, something that is not possible to achieve just with the current set of rules and tools given to governance. That's why we need a strong global ocean treaty. And a global network of ocean sanctuaries is only possible with a global legally binding mechanism in place to create them. So the treaty must really provide governance with effective tools and rules to propose and establish fully protected marine areas on the high seas. What this means in some more detail, we will learn from Sophia in a moment.
But the point is, and that is really important, that crafting such a global masterpiece requires not only technical expertise and political skill, above all, it requires political will, fueled by public mandate from people around the world, from pole to pole. Yet, how can something so far and out of reach as the high seas feature prominently in people's hearts and minds? So this is a question that we've been asking ourselves numerous times for months and even years. And it kept us busy for quite a while until we realized that it's indeed the phrase from pole to pole which holds the key to showing people what it needs to protect our oceans. So we decided to send our ships, Esperanza and the Arctic Sunrise, joined by scientists, artists, journalists, activists, of course, and especially ocean ambassadors on a year-long expedition from pole to pole in order to document the beauty and importance of our global oceans and the high seas, and also to expose some of the most imminent threats. So these are our two ships, um, just as one of the starting pictures, um, these were shot in the Arctic. So we want to show the threats and we want to show the importance of the high seas and we want to spotlight key areas on the high seas that could and should be protected. Having started in spring this year, in April in the Arctic, the expedition now follows the Atlantic Ocean from north to south, ending in spring next year in the Antarctic. And when I say we've been starting this tour uh, in the Arctic, it's not quite the truth. Actually, I don't know how many of you remember, already in 2018, we've been starting with a campaign in the Antarctic, campaigning strongly for the protection of the Weddell Sea. So far in this tour, only after four months, more than 1.7 million people have joined us and voiced their support for a strong global ocean treaty and a protection of our high seas and our oceans of at least 30% by 2030. The first leg of this expedition um, took us to the Arctic ice edge where we focused on climate change and to some degree on overfishing, destructive fishing and plastic pollution. And together with scientists, we researched the correlation between melting sea ice and its effects on ecosystems and biodiversity in the Arctic Ocean. And it's become very clear that with more and more Arctic ice, and glaciers melting away, untouched and fragile areas will become exposed to exploitation. During the second leg of the expedition in May, June, we put a spotlight on one of the most serious emerging threats facing marine life on the high seas, deep seabed mining, by introducing one of the major deep sea battlegrounds, Lost City, a unique underwater ecosystem on the mid-Atlantic ridge, home to all kinds of unique marine life. The third leg of the expedition was dedicated to the unique floating forests of the Sargasso Sea, home to lots of small fish and marine life, such as young eels and a vital refuge for newly hatched sea turtles. Here we highlighted the increasing plague of plastic pollution responsible for entangling and trapping all kinds of animals. Currently, our ship is in transit to its next and fourth expedition legs to so-called Amazonian Orinoco influence zone, including areas beyond national jurisdiction. As migratory corridor for various fish and whale species, 
nesting sites for dolphins, turtles, and manatees. It also includes the enigmatic Amazon Reef, which sadly has become one of the last big frontiers for oil drilling. The fifth leg of the expedition will soon lead our ship uh, Arctic Sunrise to a biodiversity hotspot close to the southwestern South African coast. It's the seamount Vima, already plundered for decades and trashed by historic destructive fishing practices. Fishing gear still litters this important habitat. And despite local protection as vulnerable marine ecosystem, industrial fishing vessels are still active in this area. Harmful fishing techniques by distant fishing, uh, water fishing fleets that deplete marine wildlife will also be um, the core of our sixth expedition leg to the southwest Atlantic. And finally, our seventh leg of this expedition will lead us back to Antarctic waters that we as Greenpeace have a long history with, um, home to iconic penguins, colossal squid, and most of the world's great whales. This is a spectacular and unique place and environment that happens to be at the forefront of the impacts of climate change and growing demand for industrial-scale fishing. And part of our expedition to the Antarctic last year in our campaign was a special crew member we had on board. His name was Javier Badem. <laughs> and he blended in very beautifully and nicely with the Greenpeace team, with everyone on board. And as far as I remember, Javier, you had some really special experiences. Yes, I did. On land, on the water, even underwater, at the seabed. But I'm not going to give away too much, and I'm gladly handing over to Javier to share with us his experiences and insights and emotions about the Antarctic and the fight for a sanctuary in the Weddell Sea. Thank you, Sandra. Hello, everyone. Hola a todo el mundo. Bonjour, bon dia. That's it. I don't know more languages, but I, I, I know that you all understand. Uh, on a personal level, I have to say that I'm very new in this matter of being in the United Nations, but I see way too many empty chairs here, which worries me a lot, just on a personal note, because what we are treating here is it's a must. It's a must. It's not something that we just think is important. It's a must for us and our generations to come to be living in this beautiful world. That's something that I just want to say up front. Now I'm going to explain to you what happened to me when I was in the Arctic Sunrise uh, expedition last year. I feel incredibly lucky to have visited our planet's frozen frontiers. And last year I joined a Greenpeace expedition to the Antarctic to research the state of our oceans and bring the incredible diversity of life I saw closer to people who may never get a chance to see it. I saw penguins, which is my favorite animal, by the way, plunging into the water. I saw the ice shining in countless tones of white and blue, a world of wonders and majestic whales, really breathtaking. And with scientists, I squeezed, and Mr. John present here, into a tiny submarine to go down to the depths of the oceans, where few humans have been before. So I felt literally embraced by nature. And that's why I was so deeply frustrated to see that 
member states of the Convention for the Protection of Antarctic Marine Life, what you call CAMELAR, threw away a huge opportunity to safeguard the Antarctic Ocean by failing to create a vast protected area. And despite scientific evidence here present, a few countries can block protection to safeguard their short-term economic interests. And this is a microcosm of the broken system we currently live in. And I urge you, dear United Nations delegates, not to make this mistake again. We are all surrounded by, uh, by the ocean uh, on this blue planet of ours, even if like in this room right now, we sometimes feel far away from it. And maybe that's why the many threats we facing, that, that, that the many threats facing our oceans feel so distant from our hearts. And they are plastic pollution, overfishing, mining, drilling, ocean acidification, and of course, climate breakdown. But the truth is, our oceans are under more pressure than any other time in history. That's a fact. And we are at crossroads. All of you in this room are standing at a crossroad. And you bear a huge responsibility, huge, individually and collectively, to take us down the right path. And I can help but feel that we, as living creatures on this precious planet of ours, are taking a very dangerous track. You don't need to be an expert. I'm not. I'm just a citizen. But you don't need to be an expert to understand what's going on. All you have to do is listen to the people that know, scientists, and to the many signs that nature is sending us constantly, day after day. Our oceans are on the verge of collapse. And we have all played a huge role in this. Now we must all play our part to stop it, especially you. I want to tell you something that you may not know. Without oceans, <laughs> the Earth would simply not function. And it is you, the delegates here and now, who are charged with this sacred responsibility. You are at a crossroads. You have a historic opportunity to turn the tide, not just for the high seas and marine life, but for the planet as a whole, for the millions of people who depend on healthy oceans to survive, and for our children and future generations who we pass this planet onto. I am just one of many that want this to happen. And there is a growing global movement of millions of people outside this room demanding the protection of our oceans and the whales and turtles and penguins and other incredible life to which they are home. The world is watching as you negotiate this treaty. And this time we just can't, cannot, cannot afford to get it wrong. I came here to do my part and I'm humbly asking you to do yours by committing to a strong treaty we can be proud of, one that can actually create safe havens for marine life to recover. The oceans belong to us all, but their fate is now in your hands. The instinct to protect is one of humanity's noblest traits. Please embody this principle, and please protect our oceans. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.
thank you, Javier, for this inspiring call for action. I now have the tough job of taking us from that beauty, deep diving into treaty text. So I will be uh, talking a little bit about what um, a strong global ocean treaty means in terms of uh, specific, specifically looking into uh, the draft text on uh, marine protected areas. For those of you who are new to the process, just a very quick recap. Uh, in 2015, after about 10 years of deliberations, uh, governments finally agreed to develop uh, an agreement under the UN Convention on the Law of the Seas for the conservation and sustainable use of marine biodiversity in areas beyond national jurisdiction. Uh, and the reason, uh, the, the, the big uh, problem that triggered that decision that took so long uh, was, was exactly this huge gap that we see in our global oceans in terms of protection. Currently, about 1% of these areas uh, enjoy protection through regional agreements. The past generations before us uh, made sure that there are rules and processes and agreements to regulate and organize fishing, uh, mining, shipping, but none of this, these agreements, none, anything that exists today can offer the comprehensive protection that the oceans actually need. So just like Javier said, we're here and now in a situation where this generation can change that. We need to come together and agree a strong global ocean treaty that can deliver the transformative change we know is needed for ourselves and for our children. So let's look at what that means in terms of text. So we're setting a solid foundation for protection for, the, for decades to come. So we're starting from, from the beginning, from the definition. What is a marine protected area? Uh, marine protected areas need to include the full range of, of the different types of areas. Uh, so for us in particular, fully protected marine reserves must be part of the definition. Governments uh, more and more now support the, 30, uh, the call for at least 30% of protected areas by 2030, and this treaty needs to be able to deliver that goal. To that end, we need to see activities specifically uh, being able to be prohibited, not only managed, and we're calling for the establishment of, of MPAs, and not just the designation of them. In a recent um, guide that was um, published by UNEP, uh, offers the different stages of establishment, and designation is one of them. So we would like to make sure that that's explicit in the text. And also, the last bit is about sustainable, the deleting the sustainable development uh, part of the definition that exists today, as MPAs are actually um, conservation tools. Objectives. It is important that the, object, that the uh, creation of a comprehensive network of marine protected areas becomes an uh, explicit and primary objective for the treaty, and that there is a specific duty for, contract, for uh, state parties to cooperate to deliver that objective. Greenpeace and the High Seas Alliance agree strongly that there must be a solid institutional foundation to ensure that the treaty can deliver the change that we want to see on the water. So we're supporting a conference of parties to be the main decision-making for the treaty, as well as the establishment of a scientific and technical committee and a compliance and implementation committee and a dedicated secretariat. 
Therefore, for MPAs in particular, we want to see the conference of parties having the power to establish protected areas, and importantly, this is really, really critical, at the same time adopt conservation and management measures that can meet the objective of the MPA. This is, in our view, critical, and it's the only way to ensure that the treaty can deliver fully protected areas and avoid creating paper parks. Anything short of this ambition, especially options that are putting on the table, stripping the treaty from uh, powers to adopt protect, uh, conservation measures, will only enhance the fragmentation that we see today in ocean government, governance and perpetuate the status quo, the status quo that has brought us to this ocean crisis. And finally, we strongly support a majority uh, voting decision-making procedure, and it's crucial that the treaty includes such procedure that is an action-oriented process, so that uh, through a majority voting, we can actually deliver the change that we want to see. The urgency of the ocean crisis um, demands nothing less. So these were some of the key recommendations in terms of text that we would like to see in the next few weeks being put into uh, on the table for, for discussion. The time has come for this third uh, session uh, to raise, for governments to raise the ambition and move from words into really uh, putting them into, in, into uh, action through strong treaty text. We have ocean history in the making here. So uh, thank you all for your attention and please, uh, in the next two weeks, don't hesitate to come to the Greenpeace team and the High Seas Alliance team uh, for uh, any further um, uh, input into recommendations for the text, and uh, you have uh, already received briefings in that regard. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Um, it's good to be here. Thank you to Greenpeace for organizing this event and asking me to say a few words. I run a platform called Women for Oceans. We are a nonprofit organization that promotes diversity and inclusion in the ocean sector to deliver positive outcomes for the ocean. Why? Because diversity fosters innovation. Specifically, Women for Oceans connects and promotes the work of women around the world that are active in the ocean space. There are currently over 2,000 women from around the world in our network, women from all walks of life, including marine biologists, policymakers, fisherwomen, and concerned citizens. We have a database where you can search women by key search term, city, country, and name. We want to make sure that whatever decisions are made about the ocean, be they at the local level or on the global stage, like here, the feminine and often underrepresented perspectives are not just heard, but incorporated into the way we manage our oceans going forward. We all know why we're here. It is 2019, and we still lack a comprehensive framework that protects the integrity of our life support system of almost half our planet, the high seas. So it is a wonderful thing that we are here to finally discuss the nuts and bolts of what such a treaty should look like. In my line of advocating for healthy oceans, I often get asked two questions. One, why it matters that our seas and oceans are healthy, and two, what can we do to turn things around? As technical as we all are in our respective lines of work, particularly here at the United Nations, it is important that we stop and think about these two questions. Each one of us sees the value of our oceans differently. What is important to me about the ocean is different to you. But one thing is common. We all want and need healthy oceans, whether it is to stabilize our climate, feed our family, or simply to enjoy. 
We've already heard it that we, and on the panel tonight, today. We know that climate change, overfishing, pollution, and industrial activities, including the threats of deep sea mining, the emerging threats of deep sea mining, is severely impacting the health of our ocean. Climate change is causing our seas to warm, acidify, and reduce the oxygen content of the sea. And this is all having untold consequences on life in the ocean, with cascading effects on people, particularly vulnerable coastal communities, as well as ecosystems. It is causing fish stocks to migrate, corals to bleach, and inhibiting, for example, the growth of shellfish. By the UN's own estimates, close to 90% of all fisheries are either fully or overfished. And then there's pollution, 8 million tons of plastic enters our ocean and therefore our food chain each year. And all of this translates into a very bleak future for the ocean. We need to stop thinking about the ocean in terms of economic gains. The oceans literally give us life. Over half the oxygen we breathe comes from the ocean. The ocean regulates our climate, provides us with food, jobs, recreation, and peace. Over four billion people around the world eat seafood as part of their protein intake. And around one billion of us rely on fish as our primary source of protein. Most of us live within 100 kilometers of the coast. So what happens in the ocean matters to all of us. Not to mention the fact that we share this planet with other life forms and it is our moral imperative to respect them. The high seas are what connect our, all our seas and oceans together. The fish we rely on in our coastal waters have often made their journey through the high seas or they depend on animals and ecosystems that extend into the high seas. So how we manage our high seas affects the food security of so many of us, as well as the ocean's resilience to the onslaught of the climate crisis. To the second question about what it takes to turn the tide, we have to recognize that we are all in this together. And so addressing the issues successfully requires all of us. Through my work with Women for Oceans, and my many years working in different capacities for the ocean, it is becoming increasingly apparent to me that we need more equal and fair representation of voices at the table. The fact that it has taken so long to care about our global commons is, in my opinion, a result of allowing a very human-centric, often patriarchal and economically driven view of the world to determine how we manage our natural resources. We have failed to incorporate the diverse range of perspectives that consider the intrinsic and collective value of biodiversity on the high seas. Please think about this as you start these negotiations. Consider what you are doing to ensure that all our voices are heard, both within and between nations. Gender equality and equal represent representation across cultures and geographies is not just about being fair or doing the right thing. It's much more than that. It's about tapping into the full spectrum of our potential so we can chart a better course for humanity. Thank you. Okay, I'd like to thank um, everyone here for their participation and their work. Um, Javier Bardem, thank you for lending your weight and your spirit to this cause. What do you I mean by weight? <laughs> I was hoping that wouldn't be a touchy subject. Um, and I, I really like that you say that this is not a choice, but a must. Yeah. It's obvious there's widespread support for an ambitious agreement. 
and that Greenpeace, as a representative of civil society, is here to help with those specifics regarding the treaty, but also to bear witness on behalf of the world to this process. Uh, we'd now like to open the floor to, for questions for any of, of the panelists. Thank you. The question is, what's the biggest mistake that we can make in the next two weeks? Uh, Javier, this is one is for you. <laughs> it's obvious. Uh, it all starts here by not being present. Uh, as I'm, I'm not an expert, I don't know anything about all of this except that I am a citizen and I walk around Madrid and it's hot as hell. And I go and see, I go to the seacoast and I see how the, the sea is polluted. And I have two kids. They are eight and six, and I'm truly, deeply, honestly worried about the future we are going to give it to them. So it's not that I'm an, an environmental expert. I am just a citizen that I'm worried. So I guess the biggest mistake that you can do in the next two weeks is to not care as, a, as an emotional basis of the need of what, it's, what it must be done. What it must be done, I don't know. The experts should say, should say but... Uh, something must be done because I make movies. I haven't done any catastrophic movie, Hollywood big movie, like the world collapse and all that. No, they haven't called me yet. I'm free, by the way, if there's any producer. <laughs> they pay pretty, pretty well to do those things. Uh, but this is a real one. This is a real one, and we are all, we are, we all starting it. And I, I'm afraid there is no Dwayne Johnson to save us. Uh, if we don't do something very important, which is like to create this, for example, this ocean treaty, so every country know how to behave in order to protect all 30% at least of the oceans. That's my opinion. When we did the documentary and that campaign, we raised three million signatures in less than five months. That's a lot of signatures of people supporting the cause of creating uh, uh, sanctuary in the ocean, in the Antarctic Ocean. Unfortunately, it didn't happen, but people were backing that that uh, that uh, that need. So yes, I know by the people that surrounds me that we are all paying attention and we all care. It's not a fictionary thing that some other people may have to, to take responsibility for. Like we all care and we all must do something together. That's why it's called United Nations, no ununited nations. So let's unite and let's do something for the sake of the oceans and for the sake of the generations to come. It, it sounds very simple, and it is. <laughs> but as we know, then it comes economics, no? And then, uh, but the problem is, how much are we able to sacrifice in the, in the name of the microcosm of economics, how much are we able to, are willing to sacrifice? And I guess I let the question, the answer to you, because you have to answer for all of us. But please ask somebody else, because I'm talking here with more than anybody here. I am the one who knows the less. <laughs> this has been a keystone work that we actually started in 2006. Um, back then, it's been called Roadmap to Recovery. And uh, we thought it was about time after 12 years. Um, so we started the process again in 2018 with all the new scientific data available and new environmental change 
coming about um, to have a new study um, which resulted in the 30 by 30 report. So it's kind of the, the sequel, it's the roadmap to recovery report number 2.0. Um, it's basically a, um, it's a model study based on uh, several million data points um, from different kinds of um, environmental sciences, including climate sciences, um, trying to model what would be uh, the scenario um, if uh, we protect 30% of our oceans up to 50% of our oceans, not including coastal ecosystems. So um, this scientific team has been trying to stick to the high seas and um, model different variations and scenarios under the 30 and under the 50% scenario. Where would be the hotspots of biodiversity? Where would be the hotspots of protection, for instance? I mean, there's a number of criteria that went into that study. It's not only biodiversity hotspots, but biodiversity is, of course, one of the main factors, including, including many, many others. So um, if you want to know more, um, I'm happy to uh, do that on a bilateral basis. And we have the study here in the room, so... Um, yeah, I don't know. We have the summary, we have the fold-out map, and we also have the full study, which is quite an extensive report laying out what a 30 by 30 model could look like and how it was to be implemented. Uh, the question is whether or not Javier has words for the Trump administration. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I think we all have words for the Trump administration, meaning... You cannot withdraw from the Paris Climate Convention by any means. Like, this is serious. This is happening. This is now. So you cannot, you cannot uh, live in denial. There's nothing to deny. It's a fact. So uh, basically, what I would like to say to them is, I guess, what we all like to say to them, which is, please pay attention to the surroundings. Pay, pay attention to how the nature is speaking to us constantly, how the, the heat waves are hitting Europe this summer, and how much plastic we can find while we are taking a nice walk on the beach in any, anywhere. Uh, as I've been in some places this year, plastic was floating in everywhere. It's like, that's a fact. Nobody is making that up. So it's important that we all gather together and understand that this is for all of us. There is no one person in the world that will not be benefited, uh, uh, benefit, um, thank you very much, benefited by a climate convention or by an ocean treaty. I mean, we all are part of it. Uh, the rest is playing games in order to, I don't know, hide other different interests, economical interests. That's my opinion. And perhaps to pivot back to the uh, treaty um, negotiations, uh, people have likened this, these negotiations to the Paris Agreement negotiations, and it's an interesting analogy. But I think um, something to remember here is that what is negotiated in this in this context in, under and, and towards a, a, a treaty is not something that can be done the following year and improved every year there, there, uh, thereafter. 
um, the pa it, it is actually that we're negotiating here, or governments are negotiating here, a convention equivalent, that's what we would like to see, uh, to the UNFCCC dealing with the big problem of climate uh, change. In this case, we don't have an equivalent convention with a conference of parties coming together, um, identifying what the problems are for the ocean protection, identifying and, and adopting areas for protection. That doesn't exist. So what, we're, what the governments are trying to do here is set up that foundation to then start um, you know, start actually protecting these areas. The map showed the level of uh, the, the, the huge gap that exists. So we're filling that gap here. And going to the, back to the question of what the biggest mistake could be, um, I think underestimating that uh, the urgency and underestimating the opportunity that, that the people in every capacity, but most of all, of course, the delegates representing their governments here, um, the opportunity that they have in their hands to make history and, and create something strong that can offer protection for the oceans, for the planet, and for all of us. The question is um, how to give children more of a voice in, uh, in this negotiation process. Yeah, thank you for the question. I mean, indeed, it's not just about women's perspectives in these negotiations. It's, it's about all of our perspectives, the often underrepresented one, children, absolutely. You know, most of us, I think, again, coming back to the question of what's the biggest mistake, is if we do business as usual and think, that you know things are not as bad as they are, and we're negotiating a treaty without the urgency. Uh, you know that is that that is the reality. Um, how do we bring people's voices to the table? It's interesting because each country has a different uh, you know political system way in which we can speak up. I know I'm from the Netherlands, and I know that there is now an, an uh, you know a, a discussion around um, creating a party for young people, political party for young people. We have a party for the animals even in the Netherlands. I know many countries might laugh at that, but it's actually, there are more animals than people in the Netherlands, and, and so we give them a voice. And that's the same for young people. Uh, we need to start taking it, them seriously because it is their future. We screwed it up. The generations before us have, you know, have, have, have created this mess. And, and you know, I was just deliberating on that uh, the other day that, that I grew up in a pretty carefree, uh, you know, in pretty carefree years in, in the sort of uh, in the, the West. But, uh, but, but now when I talk to young people, they are acutely aware of what's happening. And yet they're not the people sitting in this room negotiating this treaty. So I would urge governments to listen to what the young people have to say, offer them that, actively seek their input, actively seek what they want this treaty to look like, because we have a different also a different view as to what's important. You know, the people following, uh, let's say, the war or with the generations before us, their um, priority was more about, you know, wealth accumulating material possessions. But I think, and I, I can't speak for people uh, younger than me, but from what I see, that is no longer a priority. It's about experience. It's about natural beauty. It's about love. It's about each other. It's about together and society and community. And I fear that, that a big mistake a, that, that could happen in these two weeks is if we don't incorporate that way of thinking into, you know, into this treaty text. This is not about uh, economic wealth or gain. This is about our life support system, and young people know it, and, and many people that don't have a voice know it, so yes. Thank you for your, um, I think the question was about what percentage of fish stocks are overexploited 
um, and then which ones, what percentage are, are sustainable. So um, I'll actually field this one because I work on fisheries and global fisheries and high seas fisheries. So it should be, uh, the FAO maintains a database and that's the number from which this was derived, the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations itself. Um, the, for instance, all of this is, um, the high seas itself is a political construct. The idea of over-exploitation is also a political construct. These are not pure science like gravity. This is an idea that we have put in our heads about what exploitation or over-exploitation means. That means that it is subject to those same values that Farah just described. That the next generation may say, actually, all fish stocks are overexploited because you know what? We need to leave more in the ocean for the penguins that Javier cares about, for the seabirds, for the sea turtles. The idea that these have been ordained by science is absolutely false. The next generation may decide that 100% of fish stocks are overexploited and that would be completely within their domain of, of scientific right to do so. Because if they took a broader ecosystem approach, if they, if they decided that maximum sustainable yield was not just about a single species model. So the ways in which human values are baked into the science is really important to make explicit in all of this decision making. Any other questions about fisheries? <laughs> The question is about what may spark major disagreements um, in the treaty. So looking again on uh, marine protected areas specifically, which is sort of uh, what we talked about, we're focusing on today, um, the, 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 key, the key issue that takes up most of the conversation is how much power will move, let's say, from existing uh, regional and sectoral agreements uh, in terms of um, in terms of uh, protecting um, area, uh, taking measures within protected areas, and how much power will the treaty have to define the the the, the best mix of measures that will deliver the protection that the protected areas will actually need? So um, the conversation is is really about a shift uh, a shift of power from the status quo to creating a new status quo, let's say, a new system where uh, identifying areas in, in, uh, in our global oceans are, and, and protecting them is not only something that is done on paper, but something that actually is um, strengthened with uh, protective measures that look at the cumulative uh, effects of all the activities, the impact of climate change, acidification, and then is the mix of measures are then determined within the treaty and the parties under the treaty. Thank you very much for your attention, your participation, and your commitment to the future. Thank you very much. To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbow. Place. And I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there.
we can. What your country can do for you. I have a dream. Ask what you can do for your country. I, poor little children. Yes, we can. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Welcome to Public Access America. Yes, we can. Now on Instagram and SoundCloud. We wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. On Twitter. Podcast, the Stitcher Smart Radio app, Audible, and Spotify. Yes, we can. Public Access America. History in the making. Making history in the making. <laughs>